There will be no unannounced hiatus. <laughs> The Drop Back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Drop Back Podcast. Super Bowl is in the books. The Bucks taking it 31 to 9 in uh, probably a bit of an upset in most people's estimation, certainly in ours. Um, so, a lot to talk about this week. I am joined as ever by Mr. Samuel Lewis, how's it going, Slew? Hey, Matt, exactly as we predicted, big bucks win. Incorrect. Uh, we're also joined by Stan Wilson. How's it going, Stan? Yeah, just couldn't have been more right about that Super Bowl, really. Absolutely nailed it. And of course, the enigmatic Joker Stanzo. How's it going, Joey? We're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like that once every four weeks, when Matt's hosting, Joe gets called enigmatic. Yeah. He is an enigma. I don't know. I don't know why it doesn't. We don't call it more often. We usually just call him things like prick. Um, <laughs> anywho, let's let's get into this then, fellas. And the season wrapped up with what I would describe as as the Empire winning in Star Wars, with the Bucks taking home the win, Brady getting ring number seven. What what was there to learn in the, in this shit show, lads? I think from uh, like a pundit's point of view and an analytical point of view, like going into these games is just don't undervalue the impact that a weak offensive line can have on the team and their success. Because as we saw in this game, Mike Remmers got absolutely dominated on the left-hand side of that line. And it had a knock-on effect on what the Chiefs wanted to do offensively. It put Patrick Mahomes under unnecessary pressure, meant that longer developing route concepts just wouldn't work because of the pressure. Mm. And yeah, at the end up, it just it just messed up everything that they wanted to do. But that was that wasn't the only issue. Yeah, it also meant that the Bucks didn't really have to send anything more than their defensive front for the entire game, and it was working absolutely fine. I mean, they they pressured. I think they it was the most pressures in a Super Bowl. I think uh, ever. Yeah, over half of Mahomes' dropbacks where he was being pressured on. So that kind of backs up your point, like the the importance of offensive line. But I only counted like five or six blitzes. So like Stan said, or Joe said, they were able to get significant pressure just using their front four guys. And that and they were able to then flood the defense, play over the top and not allow any yak, basically. Yeah, it wasn't just their front four guys though, because you see the the looks that they come up in, they come up in these like these overload looks. They'll line up with uh, three down linemen, you've got two two inside linebackers lining up over like the B gap or something, and You've got essentially got five guys in front of you. You don't know who's coming at you, and if they drop back two, you've got the interior guys who are struggling. Who do I block? Who do I block? And that split second of decision making is what gives the defensive line the advantage in, in that instance, and it also shows the gives the QB something else to look for because he's got two guys dropping back into coverage mm. that he didn't previously predict would be there. Especially when the one guy that is coming is Vita Vea, who then just absolutely rips through all three interior Chiefs linemen. Man, yeah. he's fun to watch, isn't he? He absolutely dominated them. And I think Stan mentioned at the time, why doesn't why does Mahomes keep running around? Why doesn't he step up in the pocket? But there's literally nowhere for him to go. Yeah, going going back and watching the film today, I realised it was just it was a complete domination on all sides of things. It wasn't just the tackles, letting rushes pass. There was just nowhere to go on in the interior because yeah, Vitavea and Dominican Sue, they both did a great job on the inside, so credit to them for that. It was yeah. a definition of running for his life, really. With yeah. Patrick yeah. We almost saw about four of the best Super Bowl passes of all times. But Tyreek Hill and um, <laughs> Travis Kelsey had other ideas. Yeah, I mean, that, well, that that's another point as well. I mean, just going back to the Mahomes running for his life, we almost saw Mahomes clock up half a thousand, five, nearly just shy of 500 yards of post-snap pre-pass rushing. That's an outrageous start. Just yeah. just running from for his life, <laughs> trying around. to trying to be able to get a pass off. I think is... the Bucks did a really good job of after the first couple of drives when Mahomes was sort of able to escape for positive yardage, able to get just over the first down marker. They did a really good job, like contain blitzing. So instead mm -hmm. of necessarily just going to take him down, they so what they do is one of the guy, one of the linebackers would follow a running back out when they're in man. And the other guy would like loop the other side that they were blitzing on, basically giving Mahomes nowhere to go. So as Matt said, he was just running around in circles in the backfield, 
Yeah, quite often with these like overload looks that you're seeing at the nickel and dime packages, the linebacker assigned to mark on the running back. If the if the running back stayed in the backfield or was or was on like a chip block or or on the outside block or something like that, they he would have his eyes in the backfield on Mahomes, and you quite often saw that as well. On the other side, there was a guy marking the tight end that stayed attached. They they play their man like in zone quite often, like they were in zone quite often. Their eyes would remain very much in the backfield. And obviously, it's not something that you want to teach your guys to do regularly. But against Patrick Mahomes, it worked very, very well. He stayed in the pocket. And it, yeah, it was just great adjustment from Todd Bowles to notice that and um, rectify it quite quickly. Yeah. I mean, on that on that um, note as well, in terms of schematically how the Bucks played this, um, over the week, we did ask you guys to send in your questions to us that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast. And several of you have replied. So thanks for that. Uh, so let's bring in one of our first questions from uh, Alan, who asks, why didn't any other teams pressure the Chiefs O-line like the Bucks did? Was this something that the Bucks were uniquely sort of in place or you know, able yeah. to do? I think that, yeah, they're uniquely talented on the front ends. And their two linebackers are so great as run defenders. Levante Davis great in the passing game as well. I think it's partially personnel. Partially, Todd Bowles is a really smart defensive coach and brings up some exotic blitzes. But I think it's the combination of those two is incredibly rare. So it's not something you just go, right, let's, we'll beat them this way. Yeah, I think a lot of it was to do with the... Obviously, I don't, I don't want to make excuses here, but the offensive line play was very, very poor. And obviously, this wasn't the only factor in this game, but as I mentioned, Mike Remmers was very, very bad. He he failed to deal with gap exchanges. So, for example, ET stunts, which is when the defensive end loops around to the inside of the defensive tackle, then rushes on the outside. He failed to pick up that gap exchange, would stay with the, the with the crashing defensive end, and the uh, the tackle would just come straight past. It's, it's little instances like that that make the difference between him and Fisher. I mean, to be fair to Remmers on that, that's not just a him issue. That's a communication thing when you've got these new yeah. guys playing together. I mean, yeah. yeah, you say Remmers has been in the league long enough that he should know that situation. But it's hard for anyone when you're, especially a unit like that, that has to be so communicative throughout a game. Yeah. If you're passing guys over, then you've got you've got to know who's, whose guys are who. But I think if, if the tackle's literally looping around the outside and there's no tight end on that side to help with the protection, surely you've just got to flip your hips around and just go for that guy instead. Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both, really. I, th- I think Todd Bowles called an, an excellent game, but on the on the same side of things, like you're not going to replace Eric Fisher with with Mike Remmers, and, and yeah, on one like one week's well, two weeks' notice, um, and you know, see, it's not going to get well. Surmountable difference. Yeah, but I think well. the the fact does remain that Andy Reid was aware of this issue coming into the game and failed to do anything about it. Um, there was a guy I saw on Twitter earlier in the week. He, he basically went through the game and counted all the plays that, that the Chiefs helped with protect, protection. So, for example, using their running back on a chip block or adding an extra tight ends or adding an extra running back to help with the pass pro. And it was less than 10% of the game. Considering the fact you've got wow. an incredibly weak O-line, you're not putting them in a position to succeed. And if you're just going to go and execute the same game plan that you used for every other single game when you've got a different circumstance, then... That's a flawed offensive game plan, and it's on Andy Reid partially. Is one? Of, I'm not trying to excuse that. Is part of the reason they didn't do that? Maybe coming into the game, yeah, they absolutely should have adjusted. Is because they thought, look, the Bucks are going to play a lot of man coverage. If we leave the running back and the tight end in there, we're just going to invite more rushes. Mm. I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, you're right. Todd Bowles did change his game plan very, very, very much for this game. Like the Bucks are one of the highest blitz percentage teams in the league coming into this game. And the majority of the time, they didn't blitz. The way they brought pressure was through simulated looks. So, for example, the overload looks I mentioned earlier, where they would line up with extra linebackers on the line. So they'd end up with six guys, seven guys on the line of scrimmage, and then multiple guys dropping back, just rushing three, just rushing four. Those, that's how they succeeded. And first quarter, yeah, sure, that would be something that they couldn't have planned for. But why didn't they adjust? Why yeah. don't you call in these like extra like an audible audible the running back to chip on on one side add an extra tight end yeah. that's something that can be quite easily fixed yeah especially the chips because that's not inviting an extra rush it just slows someone yeah. down and yeah. to, to be fair to Todd Bowles this is something we mentioned last week how they adjusted after the first half of the last matchup they were playing super aggressive leaving their corners one-on-ones to guys that they weren't able to match up against one-on-one and all credit to Todd Bowles because he followed the plan and everything it seemed that the Bucks wanted to happen on defense did yeah. happen on defense they did a great job 
somehow doubling both Tyreek and Kelsey consistently. And like we said, he fought, forced their number three and four weapons to make the plays. And on this occasion, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman couldn't get Non-factors, it done. Yeah. The difference yeah. between these two matchups is that by the time Todd Bowles took, made his adjustments in the last game, it was far too late. Like you'd already, you were, they were already three touchdowns away. And in this matchup, he, he, made, he was able to implement a starting game plan that was effective from the off. And there were only small adjustments to make and... Yeah. His offense got him ahead in the first place, so that's that's the big difference. At least we were right about one thing, though, because Todd Bowles. We did mention that Todd Bowles was a great defensive coordinator. Granted, we thought that the Bucks would get absolutely mullered in this game, but <laughs> yeah, I underestimated. I, we underestimated yeah. the value of good coaching as well, because like on paper, the, the the Chiefs should have won that game. And I was just looking at the guys like you got Michael Hardman, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, speed speedy guys, great route runners that can get themselves open against more aggressive and weaker corners that the that the Bucks have. But Bowles managed to work around that quite well. And yeah, it was just an, it was an outstanding game plan and one that should be noted down for guys who want to be the Chiefs in future. Talking about, um, you know, what went well and what didn't go well. Question here from, uh, I mean, this, this, this person doesn't have a name, but... <laughs> but he's got that. an idea. But he's got Enigma. an idea. <laughs> There's not a it's EB one two three four one three, not really a name, but he does have an idea. Um, and he asks who is to blame for the Chiefs' performance. So you mentioned Andy Reid there, and possibly you know they could have made some adjustments. You know the O line didn't play well. The receivers were, bat- were batting down passes like DBs. Um, yeah, who who takes the most blame? Do we think? I think you've covered it pretty well there, to be honest. Yeah. I don't I don't really want to blame the O-line because injuries aren't someone's yeah. fault and it and it also gives the Chiefs too much leniency to say oh they they didn't have their O-linemen it was they were facing uphill yeah. battle it was a team goof as great as the Bucks were the Chiefs were equally bad and didn't turn up no they didn't stick with yes the quick game the Bucks played it well early on but they didn't stick with it at all throughout the game they sort of panicked and went back to the old Oh, let's let Mahomes make playground plays. Yeah, Tyreek Hill's got to be up there somewhere. Unlike against the Bills, where they were calm, they sort of stayed in structure. Obviously, it's easier to do that when you're getting results. And also, they were ridiculously undisciplined on defense. It cost oh, them probably about outrageous. 21. It was two touchdown drives for sure oh my God. on penalties where they couldn't get them off the field. There was that dumb Chris Jones penalty where mm-hmm. he basically punched Jensen in the face. And then the pass interferences that looking back, yeah, they may be a bit harsh on the catchable side, but just don't do stupid shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was that one Mike Evans one that people were like, oh, you know that yeah, that wasn't catchable. That's not a big really... difference, though. I think it was catchable actually because he was he was hindered. He was hindered in his, in his ability to. He could have had two more steps, and he definitely could have got that. Yeah, I think yeah. with Mike Evans. Yeah, I, I would say it's less blame. I would give more credit to the Bucks' defense, if anything, than really blame as a team the i mean the chiefs defensively like we said very uh, undisciplined and offensively they just weren't clicking at all offensive line receivers i mean credit if anything to mahomes for just being able to get passes out of what seemed like and being gracious in defeat as well i quite i was i got a lot of respect for him for that yeah. He's, he was very gracious in defeat when his mum and fiance were the complete opposite on Twitter. Uh, I mean, that's that's what mums are for. It's fine. <laughs> it was, uh, have you ever seen the X Factor, mate? You could be an NFL MVP, but your mum's still going to fight for you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Wow, that's wholesome. Um, right. Well, on to another, you know, part of it, aspect of this game, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Shout out to the guys at uh, Brit Bullin. They've asked. They've put a question as well, asking. Uh, you know, in hindsight, what could Kansas have done differently that could have potentially swayed this game, if anything? I mean, the time management at the end of the first half wasn't great from Andy Reid. I mean, we saw last week how dangerous the Bucks are going to the half because they're just going to go for it. But I know it seems that in winning the Super Bowl last year, we've just excused Andy Reid from, for failing to learn how to time manage as a head coach, which he should have learned by now, seeing as though he's been a head coach for the best yeah, part of the years. You can learn that years. stuff on Madden. <laughs> <laughs> the Bucks' game plan, especially on offense, wasn't overly complex. They ran the, the same, same, they ran the same three, comp, three um, 
concepts on the running game that we thought we, they were going to do duo inside zone and split zone exactly yeah. as we predicted i don't understand how the chiefs weren't better game plan to stop that that seems like a bit of a weird one it's their bread and butter it's literally just all they do like you can line up at any front you want on first down Arians is going to run either duo or inside zone it's going to happen hey and no that's that's the point but to be fair to Arians, he did a great job at allowing his coordinators to be the coaches yeah because yeah. he let byron leftwich early in the season basically work um work out all the wrinkles in this offense and he and he he was the, he was the primary and only play caller, I think, on offense. Yeah, so, no, no, that's true. That's true. Air, credit to Aaron's for sitting back and letting him make the mistakes. So by the time he gets to the Super Bowl, he's able to call a fantastic yeah. game plan. No, he was he was very he's a very self aware coach by yeah delegating those responsibilities to a younger guy. And just in just an interesting one, Aaron's has, has said in a like a press conference that um, part of the reason he took the Bucks job was because left, which was available, like. They, they knew each other from their time in Arizona together. Left, which was in a he was an offensive quality control guy. He started off there, and he was eventually an offensive assistant. But yeah, he was a massive factor in um in Arians taking that job over in Tampa. Indeed. Um. Right. Well, talking about uh, Tampa Bay, somebody asking here about the MVP awards. Now, obviously, the Brady man got his seventh ring, threw for three touchdowns. You know, played played pretty well. Um, so he was given MVP. However, Will says, do you guys think that Brady deserved it? Didn't see too much from him that was spectacular. Should have probably gone to a D lineman or a, D, a defensive player. I'm I'm inclined to agree with this, to be honest, guys. I don't, well, I don't care enough for awards. <laughs> it's the Super Bowl MVP. It's always going to go to the winning quarterback, especially if he throws three touchdowns late. But what about Julian Edelman? <laughs> exactly. I think the difference is that the whole defense played so well that it's difficult to single out one guy. I mean, maybe Shaq Barrett, Devin White. You, if you can't give the award to Todd Bowles, you give it to Tom Brady. Like, just yeah. I mean, maybe Gronk. Gronk was great, caught two ah. touchdowns, and was an awesome pass um, run blocker. So, but if it's going, you're right. It's going to have to go to Brady. I think it's more of what he's done to elevate this whole team rather yeah. than just this yeah. one game. Sorry, if we're going to talk about Gronk's touchdown passes, we've also got to mention that one of them was off a, like a wide open, like an RPO tight end slide, and the second one was when he was matched up in man coverage against Legereus Sneed, a little undrafted rookie safety. <laughs> you said okay. that was such score. Right. First of all, he's a corner. <laughs> he was a, he's been playing a lot of safety for them. Well, on note of what Slew was saying, like everything Tom Brady has brought to the team with him you know it wasn't just brady coming in he he was the one who was conniving away getting antonio brown gronkowski and uh apparently fournette as well had, had an influence there and they all had pretty big impacts on the game yeah. in the end they're all people who can perform in, in the playoffs and in Super I think, Bowl. I think every free agent coming in would have been influenced by just tom brady being there like he's going to draw yeah. you into a place whether he reaches out and contact you or not you're going to want to go and play with the guy aren't you yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people next season now. A lot of veterans uh, taking pay cuts to to get, move over to Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think also the difference is not only does he get those guys. I mean, it's largely, to be fair, the same roster that went seven and nine last year with other QB, tight end, right tackle, and Winfield and Brown for like four games. But. I think he just instills that sense of belief that when the back's up against the wall, you've got, right, this guy's been here before. If he believes we can still win, I believe we can still win. You're not looking at Jameis being like, this guy hasn't made the playoffs. Can we win with this guy? It's not going to be that question in your mind. Yeah. I think we're, I don't think you can underestimate the just the emotional impact of having yeah. Tom Brady in yeah. that room. I think you're looking on defence as well. I know, obviously, like nothing dramatically changed apart from Winfield which in itself was quite dramatic but it's another year of experience for those guys you got young guys Devin White Jamel Dean um, Whitehead Murphy Bunting Dave, Carlson Davies like all younger corners an extra year of experience like you can't quantify the benefit of that but there is a benefit nonetheless for that just going back to what, what Slew just said Tom Brady apparently was like throughout the week just texting every everyone on the team all the time just being like we are going to win this game so I think having a guy who, if he was a Super Bowl team, if he was a team, would be leading all teams in Super Bowl wins. Uh, yeah. Like that experience. You're going to believe him, aren't you? If exactly. Tom Brady texts you saying you're going to win a Super Bowl because I'm your yeah. quarterback, you're well, going to you believe him, aren't probably you? Probably will, yeah. Sure. Statistically. I mean, 
don't know. I'd... Go on, Matt, bring us some um, Brady slander. I was just going to say, it'd be fucked up if he detects more saying we're probably going to lose. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's pointless. more that he was going out to text every single person on the team. That oh, how difficult is it? Is is it to press select all contacts? Wow, how we've got to have that easily. number. <laughs> how easily we're impressed by Tom Brady's iPhone. Yeah, but he's then got to keep up all those individual conversations. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's nothing that's more. True. There's nothing more demotivating than getting a text saying like we're going to win today. They replied nothing from Brady. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not you. You're not important. Yeah, cheers, Tom. How how are you feeling? Silence, Left on red by the silence. <laughs> um, right. Well, speaking of Tom Brady, another another fan question here from Nathan Coates. Um, will Brady win win number six? No, you don't mean that. Number eight. Number eight. Sorry, I always get six and eight mixed up. <laughs> question here from Nathan Coates: Will Brady win number eight on the? I'm, old I'm here for it. Bowl, I'm here for rings. it if he does. I'm not. I, I, I'd rather he didn't, but. I don't know who their free agents are. It's hard to say without looking at what their roster's going to be this year. So I think it's quite. I think they, they're, they're quite young on defense. I can't imagine any of those guys leaving. Um, Mike Evans has already said he wants. He'll take a pay cut to stay. Yeah, in I was going to say Wrigley Hands Mike is going to stick in town. So that's <laughs> one weapon they've still got. I think there's potentially some younger players might be leaving to get paid elsewhere. But then, like, isn't Tampa Bay? There's like no income tax in Tampa Bay. That's another reason why people might. No, no, it's genuinely it's it's a good like free agency uh, if you're going to move that's anywhere. I didn't really consider you got no income. Yeah, if you tax. move if you move Florida to LA, as well. yeah, if you're playing in LA, you're paying like twenty percent tax. Whereas if you're in Tampa Bay, but obviously that being one thing, it's not as risky to take a pay cut. And I think that quite a lot of like veterans next year are probably going to be wooed over to to Tampa Bay to ring chase so yeah. i think it's it's a very good possibility if you take a 20 percent pay cut in tampa bay it might be the same as the salary you get somewhere else exactly that i think that was joe's point but also that quick maths <laughs> i think as well we with the salary cap dropping this year we're going to see like some established veterans take maybe smaller one-year deals so they hit free agency again when the salary cap boosts back up I think that's Ooh. a possibility so you see that's maybe someone like an alan robinson take a lower contract somewhere That'd be cheeky, you know. That would be very naughty. Playing the game, but I like it. I'm here for it. I'd just like to talk about the the, uh, the first Gronkowski touchdown, which they stole off the Buffalo Bills, which they yeah. used against the Chiefs the week before. It was like a, a tight end slide. They fake uh, inside zone with Ronald Jones or Fournette, and then Gronkowski slides across the formation. The play side cornerback gets taken away by Evans on a slant, and then just Gronkowski gets flipped the ball, and he trots into the end, end zone for an old, uh, on a yeah. touchdown. They did a really good job, actually, on that, though, basically of adding these little wrinkles that they hadn't really done yeah. all year. Because it was the same on the um, big Leonard Fournette run. Basically, mm. they hadn't done any rush runs with a puller, basically, all season long. Maybe a handful thrown in. Whip out a power play in the Super Bowl, just basic power play, boom, 20 yards for a touchdown. It's amazing Spider. how much, if you play just outside what you've shown, previously how much that can impact the defense because even yeah. if you have two weeks they can't prepare for something that you haven't done before i think i think another reason that play worked so well is because obviously the amount of duo that they run as well and the similar like how often duo is used in combination with power because of that very reason they're they're effective to like bounce off each other and work between them because it's, it's a nice little change up so yeah that's that was a gr yeah, great just wrinkles that they've added into the offense based on what they've seen from other teams as well yeah. i just think they just generally the bucks have got hotter at the exact right time. Uh, yeah, and just going back to what I said a few a uh, couple of weeks ago about I said Ronald Jones looks like a man who's running for his job back or something like that, and I think he was exactly that again. You said Ronald Jones was shit against the Chiefs. He was before you cover yourself with praise. I mean, he was <laughs> last did. time. Yeah, last time I was, I'm just I'm reacting to what I saw on Sunday night. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> week to week, it changes. Yeah, Ronald Jones looked like a man who's running for his job back because obviously Leonard Fournette started to get more snaps. And that was the case again, I think, because you got the two guys, obviously in the same position with a pretty equal snap count. I'd say, obviously, I haven't, I haven't really looked into it, but but I think using them in, using them in tandem with each other is quite good because they're being used in short bursts, and it gives it gives them a short short sample size, small sample size, but they know that those reps are going to be the ones that count. Those are going to be the ones that get them perhaps paid or more opportunities next season. Mm. Well, I mean, on that note, do you, do you think Leonard Fournette stays in town with Tampa next year? I don't know. I don't think it really matters, to be honest with you, with this running back market. 
I don't think they'll necessarily offer him a big contract. I mean, the thing that they'll have going for him is that there isn't a huge, no, sorry, there is a huge plethora of running backs that are for agents this year. So maybe he won't even be able to command such big value. So they'll be able to get him on the cheap. And he does work in the office, like Stan mentioned. So was it Stan or Joe that mentioned that Brady played the job in recruiting? For yeah, days? Joe said that. So, I mean, if he was able to get in there the first time, there's no reason to say he can't do that twice. I mean, Brady's done things before, hasn't he? And Apparently Brady just got... Forever after ever. Everyone I, they brought in on offense was basically just Brady. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked what they said after the after the Super Bowl and the press conference. It's like, Gronk was like, I'm coming back. Brady said, I'm coming back. Arians, I'm coming back. It looks very much... What did Goodwin say? Um... Because he's a huge part. I'm out of here. Because he's he's a young free agent, so he could get paid. And he's a huge part of that running game as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Goodwin said, but he's replaceable. I think he's a slot guy. Yeah, but he's more than a slot guy. He's he's basically an all-round guy. He's an all-round guy. But he's not. He's just a (laughs) stand-up guy. But he's not one of those guys that, like, he's all-round because he's sort of not That's bad right. at everything he's all round because yeah. he's good at everything yeah fair play to you fair play I, I was a bit harsh on him there <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what he said but it's the fact that those big three guys have all said they're coming back in quick succession straight after Super Bowl it very much looks like they're trying to keep the band together for one last ride or maybe yeah. two more yeah but it's, it's always going to be one last ride until your wheels until Brady's got like his hands and toes with rings all on them yeah that's yeah. how addiction works. Um, I mean, there's worse things to do it's, than yeah, you, to the championship yeah. rings. Yeah, that's true. But addiction nonetheless. I mean, the good thing is, uh, the good thing is um, about Bruce Aarons coming back as well is that he, it's not as much of a health risk to himself as he was a couple of years ago when he was doing everything and then exploded on, on himself. Yeah. Medically speaking. <laughs> it's a bit harsh. But, but because he's able to sort of delegate a lot of the powers... He's, he's able to sort of oversee things to make sure everything's running smoothly rather than being... Because he's got guys that he trusts that can... Yeah, they've built really good and, and, and all the head coaching roles have been filled, so no one's going to go anywhere. So you got... I mean, Byron Leftwich is probably going to be hired as a head coach after next year because he just... I mean, he just blew out Eric Bieniemy out, didn't he? Because he, he was a play Ooh. caller. Yeah, because the the yeah, he directly outplay-called Eric Bieniemy. They were going up against each other, weren't they? Well, Eric Bieniemy wasn't actually play-calling, but... I mean, he had a headset on the mic and a play card in front of him. So oh, he does read, play. read Wait, into does that the, as you Does the enemy play call? I can no, share it. No, like, he there's conflicting they reports, aren't he, They share it, 100%. I thought the enemy installs the plays. He creates the plays and installs them. And then he's Andy Reid actually calls in front the of plays. Him, a mic on and he's talking into it. Like, yeah, I don't he can think be talking to anyone. Not sole play you can call see the dessert menu and not order dessert, Stan. Yeah. No, right. Here's what I see. Obviously, it's open to interpretation. I may not be 100% right. But I see a guy in front of me. With a play card, headset on and a mic, talking into it, and he's the offensive coordinator. I'm not saying he's the sole play caller because he definitely is not, but I do think they share play calling responsibilities. Well, he could just be speaking to Andy Reid through the headset. <laughs> hey, uh, hey Andy, please, can you call this? this? Social distancing. Isn't it? <laughs> can you hear me now? What about now? <laughs> S- sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> well, so Bienemy reco- um, relays the play call to Andy Reid, who relays it to Patrick Mahomes, who relays it to the offense. Yeah, pretty much. Sounds right. like a very dangerous thing. It seems, seems whispers. a lot more simpler if we just say Andy Reid calls that's the plays. Pro- that's probably yeah. why it's such playground football in that second <laughs> half. Because <laughs> they, couldn't call, they couldn't call a disciplined quick game because they were going through about four different people. Run around and try to throw it when you're completely on the floor. Yeah. That's quite to, impressive, though. Yeah, to, that, to that note, there were, quite, there were a few passes where Mahomes was pretty much on the floor. And is it like throwing dimes, throwing dimes at like stupid Madden glitch angles, and his receivers were just like, I do not, I've not brought my hands to this stadium. If you're, if you're going to look at the stat sheet and blame Patrick Mahomes, then you need to get a grip of yourself, watch the film, and just understand that the O line was poor, the receivers were poor, the play calling was poor. His toe, his toe, and his toe was clearly poor. got worse as the game went on, yeah, like yeah. as well. He was a lot less. Also, I guess that. On, a, on account of the amount of pressures as well. like You're not going to feel great. Yeah, the Bucks did a great job basically keeping them in third and long all day long. Yeah. yeah. And all those screen games that Kansas City live off are all short yardage plays or to be called in short yardage situations that can then go for deep. And the Bucks were just all over it. It was like they were prepared for everything Kansas was going to do. It was, it was honestly, you can have as many excuses for Kansas as you want. They were just out coached and outplayed. Yeah. 
I think the players were just a bit there as well. Like Hungry Sammy or all busy. Uh, the the Sammy Chiefs, Watkins. they just seemed too casual. Yeah, like Sammy Watkins, there was a, a like a flanker, flanker drive screen where basically the running the running back is just a half-back screen. You've got the wide receiver, he's on a flanker drive, which essentially he runs like an in-route across the... Across the it's a, it's, a, it's a shallow in, but his job is to take out the middle linebacker almost like accidentally. He runs into him so that he can't make the play over on the screen, and he literally just sort of just brushes past him. It's like I know it's it's within the it's not directly within the rules to take people it's out. It's sloppiness but, though, because yeah. he should know that that's what he has to do. Yeah, that's the whole point of calling the drive concept. If Stan and I know that, then why does Sammy Watkins not know that? Yeah, like we're just two guys sat at home in our bedroom watching film. Like, <laughs> I was so disappointed with their playmakers on Sunday. Like, they just they just didn't seem to turn up. Travis Kelsey had a, a few really uncharacteristic drops. Tyreek Hill barely featured. I mean, he's still got a, a decent amount of yards, but not nowhere near as much as what we expect from him. And the other weapons as well. Just as a unit, those receivers did not show up on Sunday. Not impressive. No, I think the Bucks showed that. If you can get pressure with four, you can almost take the other two guys out of the game. Mm. Yeah, you need pressure with four, and you're still hope and you still account for those drops because Patrick Mahomes is just magic. But mm. they were able to do what we didn't think they'd be able to do and double them both basically all day long. Yeah, yeah. they bracketed them on so many plays, and then they they kept the two high look as well, and there was just no space deep to exploit. Yeah, and and so, like yeah. you said, yeah, Sammy Sammy Watkins, Hardman. Um, I didn't see them try and hit the running back that that often out of the backfield, but they weren't they weren't able to win one on ones, and that just that cost them the game. Yeah, um, that just, and everything else. Just to do with the pass rush as well, I think the the front and the back end of the defense they worked in tandem on this game, in the fact that the pass rush on plays they would buy the secondary time when they when they were in like an off coverage, and then sometimes the secondary would buy the pass rush time. Like one of the ways Todd Bowles did this is he would line up in these looks that. I haven't seen all season. I don't think any of you guys would have seen all season either. It's literally a three high look where the deep, where the three safeties are like twenty yards off the line of scrimmage or something, and it looks like a cover three, and it's a cover three, but it's like a, it's an invert cover three where two of them will bail that da- will will bail downwards to play like the hook zones or whatever, and the outside corners will go and make up the other outside third zones, and it's just little stuff like that that Patrick Mahomes has. I can almost guarantee you has not seen all season. He can be the smartest guy in the world, but if you don't know what you're looking for, then you can't see it. And it's just little things like that that allow the pass rush extra time and just buy that extra second, which is very, very crucial. Saying that, Patrick Mahomes played in the Big Ten and should understand how to go up against three safety defences because that's basically all they do. Yeah, that is very true. For God's sake, Patrick. I mean, we... The Chiefs' defense just didn't play well enough as well. We spent basically half of last week praising Steve Spagnola and how great the Chiefs' defense had been down the stretch. Don't we look silly now? I mean, not, silly, not as silly as they do. Yeah, yeah, they look silly because <laughs> they're the ones flying back empty-handed. Yeah, we're not flying anywhere because of that card. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that we would be really. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many penalties, man. Especially in that first half, it felt like every time the Chiefs. Did something semi good. There was a yellow flag on the floor. The Tyron Matthew pick was painful. Oh my god! Oh, oh yeah, awful. that was. I thought that was a turning point. He looked so happy with himself. He was like, "Ah, no flag. You're going back, mate." Yeah, there was also was it Romo or Nance? One of them basically pointed out how Tampa Bay had gone to the rest beforehand and been like, "Look, you should watch out for the Chiefs because they they are quite grabby on the back end." But it, I mean, I get you get one or two flags for that. But you can't keep doing it all game long. Yeah, that's that, that's that's how the great man defenses work, though. Like you've got um, his name his name escaped me. Um, Don Brown, like ex defensive coordinator at Michigan, he coached one of the best man defenses of, of recent years in college football, and eventually the refs cottoned on to it, and it was just basically worked through the the outside DBs. They're very good, but they were just playing way too handsy. And as soon as the refs get an eye for that, they're just going to flag you every single time yeah. until you have to yeah. stop or get fired. In his case. It's troubling if you're if you're a defense that relies on being handsy. You can't really like. There's nothing you can switch. Like if yeah. you if you stop being handsy, that they're just gonna you're gonna give away massive gains. I mean, I get that, but at the same time, maybe you shouldn't rely on doing something that's technically not allowed. Yeah, and it is yeah. it is possible to do a good job in man coverage without 
Fouling away a PI. Yeah, so that's a half of the league's O lines who just hold on every play. Yeah. No, like I was I've I've always been coached as a DB. Whenever you have your hand on a receiver, use the back of your hand because then there's the, like, there's no way that you can grab any cloth or the or the refs can call you for that. I think to be fair, it's, it's a lot more complicated. The guys, the guys complicated, you're up but... against are gonna be less athletic than what there is in the NFL. Just slap maybe. Them. I mean that is a that is a possible um, conclusion. I mean I don't I don't want to undersell your opposition. No, I'll, I'll I, look I wouldn't want to. I'll look into to, it, um... Hey, I mean Stan was due to play my little brother this year, so uh, yeah, fucking what we say, bro. They cancelled it because they were scared of him. Yeah, yeah you, you, your brother got lucky. I'm telling you, <laughs> blanket coverage from Stan. They saw Big Mike Burns Peak's arm and they were like, "Don't want to hear that." Global <laughs> global pandemic. It's not blanket <laughs> coverage so much as giraffe coverage, really, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. you can't you can't do anything against that range yeah it's a shame as well because I, I explicitly told him to target the big freak <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean do, does anybody else have any major takeaways from the Super Bowl Any anything else that made you sad happy I thought the, I mean I thought the weekend's half time performance was actually pretty good to be honest yeah I was, didn't seem very COVID friendly though Oh, they, probably, they were probably I, I all tested that. and vaccinated. Yeah, I know they were probably all tested, but it's just still weird to see like I haven't seen hundreds the, of people yeah. in a stadium. They had those like, weird white things over their faces, though. I liked it with second. <laughs> no, but no, they were literally like bandaged up. You can't yeah, call yeah, it yeah. masks. If you were one of those out to Waitrose for your weekly shop, it was a bit... I don't think anyone's going to say anything if you walk out wearing one of them. To be but fair, yeah, I think they'll think you're a bit mental, mate. They're probably just walking the other direction, especially with COVID around. I just mean like if if. If you're the NFL and you're doing like, oh, coaches have to wear masks on the sideline because it sets an example to the league, and then you've got the weekend's halftime performance where they're all like dancing with each other. I mean, I don't really give a shit, but it does set a double standard, don't you think? No, because the season's over now, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's true. They didn't got one one half left. Only six, like thirty minutes of football left. Who cares? They just had to do it so they could stay open basically until this weekend, which I'm actually yeah. surprised that they managed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think credit the, to that. the NFL to an extent deserves credit for credit for that, to be honest. And they have to done get a very good played. job. Congratulations, Mr. Goodell and company. Nice. And there was only like really three big breakouts. The, the Tennessee one, the Baltimore one, and then there was that Broncos one where they... Just... Didn't Baltimore have two? Uh, depends what you define a breakout. Uh, the, one, the, big, the, the big one was the one where Lamar and et al. couldn't play. <laughs> Lamar et al. 2020. Outrageous. Um, but yeah, I actually quite, I thought the bit where he was, where the week, going back to the halftime show, uh, where the weekend was in that, the bloody mirror maze. That, that, that. Fantastic and, meme material. For the memes, yeah, I think respect for him because I think he knew where he was going with that one. Yeah, that, that was an instant meme. That was basically he, he did his best Patrick Mahomes impression of where every passing puck play, where he's just looking around like, "What the fuck? Where am I? Where is everyone else?" Yeah. Any anything else, fellas, about Super Bowl before we put it, put it to bed and never talk about it ever again because it was horrendous. Oh, can everyone shut up blaming the refs already? Because the refs don't hold you to nine points. That's all I'm going to say. That's a fair point. And I mean, quite a lot of penalties were just obvious penalties as well. Unless they were like lining up in a three-point stance, getting sacks on Mahomes, they couldn't really have impacted. Would have been fucked up if they did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think they look at it and some of the holding ones could have not been called holding in other circumstances, but there was defensive holding. They still didn't score. They only yeah, scored they, nine points. They weren't points. explicitly not holds. This is the thing with holding as well, because you, you could go back and rewatch any NFL game. And if you watch the O-line every snap, you will see probably three or four holds or three or four plays that could be given as holds that aren't and vice versa. You'll see holds where it's like, is that really a hold? So it I, holding is very subjective and ambiguous in terms of how it's given and, and officiated. So I think as a general rule, it's difficult to get really angry about holds unless it's like a glaring miss or a glaring, like he literally just, I just meant like the defensive holds that were more, I mean, obvious to see, I would say, because when you're mm. looking at a whole O-line, you're looking at five yeah. players at once, whereas defensive yeah. hold, you're looking at the person who's usually receiving if the ball. They stop, if, the, if the DB stops you running your route or imp impedes your ability to catch a ball before the ball's there, call it fair play. Mm. And I think that's what that's quite a lot of what happened at the same time. But 
it doesn't stop you from score it doesn't stop you from scoring more than nine points which they didn't do so what, just what that's i your would argument. say about officiating and it did sort of come into play again not in a massive way in the super bowl but it, you know it was a flag when um antoine winfield jr threw the bloody peace sign back at um, i liked it back at yeah back at tyreek hill i liked it as well that that was that's my point and that that was a flag and it's just like I Americans think are soft about that sort of stuff, aren't they? I, I think we've seen that so much this season, in particular, where it's just like you don't. Do you need to flag for stuff like that? And you like, want to watch and college like, football? They're not even allowed to celebrate. Like you're not even allowed to give a, like the the uh, the ball to a fan, anything like that. I just think it's a bit ridiculous, yeah. and it goes it goes past celebrations as well. Because that's we, what Vontae seen... Mack did, and it was just yeah. his dying sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's fucked up. Yeah, um, it is. But yeah, I mean, we've seen loads of times as well when there's been like scuffles and stuff in NFL games where it's just like shoving matches. And it's like, these blokes are literally wearing helmets. I don't think they're going to get seriously injured in this. Unless somebody starts... Yeah, but you can't have an all-out brawl in those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously ice hockey, not. The ref literally just watches them do it and then just they get sent to exactly. them for like two Part minutes. Part of the game in ice hockey, though. Uh, yeah. True, but my, my point is like, I, we saw it, I remember in the... the Bears playoff loss. There was like some bullshit, like just players like having a little shove after a, after a play finishes, and the refs throwing flags and stuff like that. And it's like it's just unnecessary. Yeah, essentially, you've got like twenty two men in the field and a high a high adrenaline game, high intensity. You've got to let the shoves and, and the trash talking Absolutely. go a little bit. If somebody starts throwing big punches and stuff, or whacks a helmet off and bonks someone with it, then fair play. Whack a flag out, send them home. But if it's just a little bit of Javon slap- Wims. Yeah, a little bit of tickling. Then do we need to <laughs> sort of invoke some sort of yellow card system where it's like, right, here's a warning: don't be a dick again. That, would, but I guess, but then people yeah, just but then you're like, saying yeah, there's something. I think, I think the Yanks would kick off at that. Um, no, no, but it's just the continuous. Like you can't keep punching someone in the head. You can't keep pushing them in the face. <laughs> so you're right, right, one you So we get, we get a quarter. Stop it! Punch Stop in the head. It You've now. got a maximum of one per game. One more. We're going to have like sixteen per season. So you can use a all in one game if you want. But yeah, that that's my old man gripe with NFL officiating when they get when it's it's literally a, sh- a sport about smacking each other really hard and then somebody pushes someone after the play's over. It's not even really an old man gripe because it's you're saying that they're being too harsh. You just let them get mm. on with it. Maybe it's a young man gripe. Didn't Winfield come out and say like the reason he did that was basically because Tyreek Hill when he had that monster game against them before, did the exact opposite. Tyreek Hill does that to anyone. It wasn't purposely at Winfield. He always no. does that when he's running free, he just sticks the fingers up. Yeah, but it, it, it would piss you off. Cool it would piss you off. Yeah. You... <laughs> yeah, but it's jerks. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the bit of, like, no one got hurt. Maybe some people got a little bit angry, but like, I think Tyreek Hill hurt. got quite butt hurt, but. But do you know what I mean? Like, it, that's not something where it's like, oh, I used to flag that, stamp that out of the game. Like, that was fun. I liked watching that. I'd have a bit more of it, if I'm honest. Adds to the view. Adds to the. I mean, if the viewers like it and it's a viewer exactly. viewer driven sport, then let them play. You make a play on someone and they call you a dickhead, then good. Yeah, fun. this is what this is why I can't wait for the XFL to come back. Yeah, yeah baby. Yeah, now it, is, it, is it coming back? Yeah, Dwayne the Rock yeah. Johnson um, and his buddies—they've all rebought it up again and they're bringing it back next year. Love it. But, but they see it more as like a thing for for people who won't have a place after college. Like a, like yeah, a Foster's home cool. for imaginary NFL talent. That's shows slapped, like an op- by the They're way. sort of talking about it's like almost a development league, but just like a pro league as well. So it's an op- it's an opportunity for guys who wouldn't play and just to develop their talent. And it sounds like but a isn't good that? Plan. I feel that's what it already was in a way. Like the AAF and the XFL, they were never competing directly with the NFL. All those guys were thinking, look, if we do well here. We get a shot in the NFL, and presumably mm. the coaches were thinking that as well to some extent. True. I don't know. I think Hal Mummy, um, who was a head right, coach, some of the coaches. Yeah, he's a bit too old for it now, but um, he's giving it a go. He's giving it a go back in the old air raid thing. Exactly. But I yeah. think it'd be good fun. But the reason it failed in the first place was literally just because of COVID nineteen. It was doing very well for itself. So mm. hopefully, it comes back and a business starts booming again. Exactly. It's not the only thing to have failed during COVID times. Yeah, bye bye Top Shop. <laughs> That's not where I was going with this, Dan. But fair play. Um, <laughs> right. Well, looking looking on to next year, then our last fan question for today um, from from DJ. He says, "Do you think that the LA Rams are Super Bowl winners?" Um, 
And will you be analysing this time next year? Of course we will. We have nothing better to do at all. We, sorry, scrap that. We love American football and we'll obviously <laughs> be covering it next year as well. Um, so stay tuned for that, please. But yeah, LA Rams, what do we what do we think now with they've got Matty with the arm? I really like the Rams next year. And yeah. I think, yeah, this time next year, there is, there is a chance that we're sat here analysing a Rams game instead, to be honest with you. Whether they win or lose, another matter. But they've got a chance to go the whole way. Like, if their defense manages to stay to a similar level as it was with Brandon Staley, and you've got Matt Stafford in their offense, then the sky is the absolute limit for them. Yeah, I, I'd listen to Psychic Stan on this one because it turns out a year ago today he predicted that Brady would end up with the um, Buccaneers in an article written a year ago before he even signed, and that was a great Super Bowl spot. So Stan called that a year ago. I'd put a bet on the Rams now. Look at this guy. Yeah, maybe I put my bet on too early. You know, it's actually intended for next year. Who did yeah. he bet on? The Baltimore Ravens? No, no he bet on the, the, Rams, the Rams, didn't I? To win the Super Bowl, do you remember? Because he, he got those those um, favourable odds. I think I, I think it's a decent opportunity for the, for them to to get there again, especially with Matt Stafford. But oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't love it because I'm a Cardinals fan, but I love it at the same time. But you love again, it as a football they, fan. As a football fan, I do. They have to get I through do. the Packers. They have to get through the Bucks. Which we know are tough. The Chiefs will be now. there or thereabouts. I know they're in the AFC. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about the Packers, to be honest with you, unless they can massively Ooh. improve their defense. If you're like essentially, they don't might pet it anymore. Yeah, that, that is true. If they can hire a good DC, then then sure. But if you essentially got Sean McVay and a knockoff Sean McVay, who's going to win? I mean, knockoff Sean McVay's been pretty great. Other than that, no, one, I've been alright. He's not that. He's not that much worse than. But Sean McVay's definitely better than the fur. I, I thought Matt LaFleur was pretty good last year. I'll be honest. I'm not saying I, I really he wasn't good. He obviously I mean, he's gone made... 26 and 6. I mean, I... yeah. You could stop Maybe you should keep your mean that. comments to yourself, Stan. No, I'm not. It's not meant to be slander. It's more meant to be truth. It, no, it's, it's, <laughs> Hateful it's more, truth. It's, it was intended to be praise towards Sean McVay. Okay, uh, obviously, obviously LaFleur is a great coach, but Sean McVay is just. You can get on board he's, with he's that. The, he's the creme de la creme of coaches. We mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when the. Stafford trade first went through how it does make them Super Bowl contenders because if they're not yeah. then it's a huge disappointment basically this yeah. is them going all in saying we believe we can win a Super Bowl but the Rams go all in every year it seems <laughs> to be fair they always make the playoffs yeah. and now they don't have to rely on Goff in the playoffs so and Stafford's got a rushing attack yeah every year every year they go all in and we're like oh next year they'll be they'll be screwed salary cap wise mm. and then they just manage to whip a, like, whip a couple of first round picks out and Trade for another superstar, is yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as Joe said, there they do. This is Matty Stafford with a rush attack. And Big problems. Ball and the defense is going to rush for two thousand yards. Yeah, oh, another man on the Acres train. Oh no! Well, now we're getting silly. Right. Well, we've probably got just enough time to to chat about and a story that we believe is a bit of a non-story with the whole Russell Wilson. Murmuries coming out that Russell Wilson was frustrated with the Seahawks because he kept he keeps getting sacked, and then Russell Wilson delivered the most obvious answer ever, which is yes, I don't like getting sacked. It would have been more worrying if he said yes, I love getting sacked. Bring it on, bring it on. Exactly. If he came out and said that, then I'd say he's in the wrong sport. He should be into I don't know rough sex or something. <laughs> you really did not think that analogy through, did, did you, when you started halfway, it? I got halfway through and then I forgot all the rough sports. Because also, not a sport. <laughs> Wait, rugby would be a more logical answer. Oh, behave. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything to read into this at all? Or I, is think it the, just... I think the only thing you can read into it is you can tell who hasn't looked at a full interview by the way they report on it. Yeah. That's... Yeah, 100%. It'll get, it get taken out. We'll see mock trades in the next few days about possible oh. trade packages, including Russell Wilson. Hey, maybe we can get him for Carson Wentz if people are offering, <laughs> or if people are offering three first and Alan Robinson. I mean, you're a QB factory. Maybe you know you could turn this Russell Wilson bloke into someone. Yeah, I reckon Indeed. we could turn him around. I mean, on that note as Put well, that... straight in there. <laughs> you, as you were saying earlier, Slew, there's some rumblings about Chicago wanting the Wentz man. Um, which I think is a bit of a weird one, to be honest. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I'm they're... not. I'm not hugely in favour of selling Wentz, but if we can get a couple of first round picks, or a first round pick and a good player, I'd, I'd probably take two first round picks. I'd take. If you got two first round picks out of Carson Wentz, that's literally a crime. <laughs> that that would be DeAndre Hopkins level um, robbery. 
Yeah, but this is also the man that traded up for Mitch Trubisky when no one else wanted him. Yeah, but that's just bad. That's just bad judgment. Bad no, it's not. No, it's not. If you've got a guy you want, then you take him. That's that's as far as it goes. Whether whether uh, whether the outside people think he's a good talent is a different issue. If you see your QB who you value to be your franchise QB, then you go and get him. But that was well, maybe they think judgment, Wentz, maybe it? they think Wentz could be their franchise QB, and they think they can change it. The logic wasn't the lo- yeah. The judgment was bad, but the logic wasn't. Yeah, I might just caveat yeah, that, that in bad that logic. passionate response from Stan with the fact that this man's only just recently watched the film draft day because you would true. have not been out of place there, Stan. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, Vontae Magnum, I thought. Correct. I heard answer. Carson Wentz, like, no one goes to his birthday party, though, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I think two, two first-round picks is way too high. Yeah, what's wrong with him? <laughs> Nobody went to his birthday. But yeah, I mean, for for, for me, with the, this whole Bears debacle, they're, they're, not, they're not a team that's a quarterback away from being contenders, so doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I don't think Carson Wentz... I don't know. I think. I mean, Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz is better than Mitch Trubisky, but I don't think he's enough of a... You're forgetting how good the defence is, though. Yeah, let's not forget we kept on just looking at them week in, week out, going, how has Nick Foles managed to get a win here considering he's got 50% like completion rate? He's throwing 50-50 balls every time and they've still managed to win the game. And that's because the pieces around are very decent. Better than Adam Robinson, though. I'm, yeah, the, without Adam Robinson... Thing. The offense will struggle, but obviously you've got like Darnell Mooney, um, Montgomery as well, both playing very well at the moment. Whims, throwing haymakers. <laughs> He's either throwing haymakers or dropping touchdowns, so I don't know what more you want from him. Exactly, that's a man I want on my team. <laughs> if you're lucky, they'll include him in the trade sloop. Yeah, him and you're Foles, a... bloody hell, can't wait for that. You're receiver needy. Imagine trading back for Foles, Jesus Christ. <laughs> a pretty hectic QB offseason, though. Hmm. Right, well, that just about wraps it up for this week. Gents, thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Dropback Podcast. And just as a note to the future, we are not going anywhere, even if the NFL season is over. We'll be back every week with plenty of free agency, draft. In fact, next week, we're going to get into some QB chat. So uh, plenty to stick around for. Make sure to follow us on our social medias to keep up to date with everything new at The Dropback. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Dropback and at The Dropback UK on Facebook. We'll have lots of content over the next few weeks, so keep your eyes peeled. But for this week, I've been Matt. I've been Sam. I've been Stan. And I've been Joe. And we will see you next week. Peace. The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns-Peak, Joe Costanzo and Sam Wilson. Ronnie O'Sullivan is the true goat, though.